Fancy. What up, Mike? Howdy doody. <laughs> so we're doing it our today, it seems, right, with the new software. Yep, we are we changed to Squadcast from using Zoom, so hopefully this works today. Yeah, I'm excited to see how this. So if anybody hears anything weird that we don't hear, let us know. But this should be a fun experiment. So do experiments. It's good to do experiment is the theme. But not yeah. the experiments always to improve, right? And we are trying to improve the quality. We haven't been doing any video, but we want to post more videos on Instagram so we can provide people with a little bit more information, right? Yeah. So this will hopefully help with that. This will hopefully help. All right. Speaking of experiments, though, I wanted to use this session, this to catch up on our fit quest and then to go over Q and a little bit, because I've been getting some questions that I, while we've had our little, our vacation basically and the end of out season and all that. And I feel like that would be a good way to catch up with people today. But I don't know which one you want to start with. Do you want to start with FitQuest or do you want to start with Q&A questions? Let's start our FitQuest because it has been three weeks or so since we last recorded. So I have a few things that I have. Let's start with FitQuest. Okay. I want to hear about your Mason Club stuff too, by the way. But we'll start wherever you want to start. Start wherever you want to start. What have have you been up to? So you have inspired me over the past couple of years to pick up some uh, some clubs, some steel clubs and the mace bell. So I got some five pound steel club, uh, which are basically like look like a mini bat mm-hmm. and and then some a 10 pound mace, which is a pretty long. I don't know how long it is. It's about probably two feet long with a bell on with a, just a circle ball on the end. Uh, I would say it's basically feet. like a. Yeah. Yep. And that's 10 pounds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the 10 pounds, when I first looked at it, I was like, okay, I'm going to get the 25 pound one. And you were like, whoa, oh, you need to get a 10 pound mace bell. And I was like, what? Oh, I was like, all right, but I trusted you. So I got, the, I got the 10 pound mace bell and I'm very happy that I started with 10 pounds because just doing some of the simple exercises, like a, they call it a 10 to 10 to two which is just like warming up your wrist to be able to control that mace bell. When it, uh, the leverage point is so high, um, it really puts just a ton of force on your wrist that you don't use in regular lifting. But I feel like it, it translates more to real life. Yeah. And the le- the some people call it a lever bell, by the way. Have you heard people call maces lever bells? I haven't. I'm just starting my like year long experiment into this unconventional and and so I don't know a whole lot. I was actually doing a little bit of history research on it. Yeah, it's it's pretty wide. So I don't want to go into it today um, because I don't know what's true yet. Okay, I think a lot of the movements that I've looked into have been influenced by like the Indian club and Indian Gata type training. So like that 10 to 2 type training and the rotations and 360s and stuff like that and the the heart shape work that you yep. do with clubs that's all very indian i believe yes and that's from training for wrestling like ancient wrestling and and for using an actual mace a real mace in battle yeah yeah, exactly. And yeah, that was one of the things that I, and I saw. And that's really cool. And really, it's just a stick. And a club looks like a mini bat, but the mace bell is just a stick with a ball on the end. So that's right. probably been around for forever uh, in right. lots of different civilizations. Uh, yeah, it's, just it's so, really interesting. So yeah. Or even if you think about, I, there's this really cool strength historian that I follow. And she's like a professor at some college. But she runs a series or a newsletter where she talks about it. And one of the one of the articles was all about uh, ancient cultures and just clubs. Like you think of a caveman with a club kind of thing. But then you extrapolate right. that into like early civilization and Mesopotamia. And you look at the old statues and they have these big clubs in their hands. And Hercules with the big club in his hand. And it's really not amazing when you think about how long and how far back like using clubs 
as a tool or as a weapon or hammers or things like that. Yeah. And so that's kind of part of my fit quest that I'm going on right now is I'm using, so we had an episode that was called, it was something fancy. It was like musculoskeletal evolution, but basically we talked about uh, evolution and different things in the past that we use. And we didn't talk too much about this. We did a little bit, but we mainly talked about hanging and climbing and things like that. And so part of this fit quest is I'm at incorporating the mace bell and the clubs. And that's really going to be a lot of my upper body movement, but I'm also going to add in hangs and pull-ups. So trying to use some of that, the evolution into my training. Um, And then I'm going to try and not touch anything like any dumbbells or barbells for a little while. Oh, okay. So that's part of it too. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. And so I'm just going to be using odd implements and I'm going to try and do that for a whole year and I'm going to try and set up an experiment. So I haven't, I'm starting it right now, but I'm going to make an official experiment. I'm going to do it part of this podcast too. It's going to be fun. But I'm thinking at the beginning of the year. So in a couple months, I'm going to, I'm going to, and I'm like, you know how we always talk about experiments, but I want to write it down, like using the scientific method and, and make sure I have. Yep. And make sure I have all the variable and really, and see, because one thing with the fitness world that I I don't a hundred percent agree with, but it's everywhere is that, and and I know I talked about this before. I know you don't agree with it. Maximizing your strength is pushed so hard. uh, And I feel like that is maximizing strength to like really trying to lift you know, twice your body weight uh, when it comes to your deadlift is a big number that's out there. Mm-hmm. And then one and a half of your bench, I think. Uh, and I think twice with your squat too. And for me and in my experience, and this is just an opinion, there's no science or anything back to like, this is just me working in gyms and seeing tons of trainers and tons of people who have been working out for 20 years who have gotten hurt chasing these numbers these double these these double body weight axes and everything like that and that's what i see um and so my theory is for this next year is using odd implements and things from our evolution um and i'm going to go up to 100 pounds is going to be my max weight that i'm going to use and i'm going to for and that's going to be a hundred pound sandbag of an odd implement um and so that's going to be part of the experiment is not maximizing that strength and seeing how strong I can get. And then I think I'm going to have to incorporate something like doing a barbell test at the beginning and then doing a barbell test at the end Ooh, okay. or something like that to see the transfer over. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also want to add a real life element to it. Yes. So it's a, right now it's a, a thought process, but I wanted to talk it out with you. Because yeah. I think it's a good idea. I think it's like a cool thing for us to do. I think both of those things should be good. Would be good tests, but not one in and of itself. Because you're trying to test out whether or not you can still maintain or even improve, or if you decrease, who knows? Or if you decrease in strength, barbell wise, and that's neither right. good nor bad. I would say, depending on Cause, your because the point more, that. The point that I'm trying to prove is that is that you don't need to do the barbell lifts and the maximal barbell lifts. So that might not be the best thing that I'm trying to prove. The Which best is why you want to have that real prove. life one as well. Yeah. Whatever well, that may be, like carrying your kid or standing up off the ground, which, hey, later on, we're talking about our questions, and that might be one of the questions that I want to talk about. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. But, okay. Anyway, but anyway, but having something like that as the, a real life thing that I'm experimenting, I think yeah. it's going to be it's something more that I want to prove. Okay. I like that. I like that. That's yeah. cool. That's fun. I have one more part of my fit quest, unless you have anything to comment on that particular thing. No, you took the words out of my mouth because I want to try and figure out. So we got to hash out what that real life test is going to be for you or that more functional, unconventional test will be for you. Exactly. And maybe because I'm getting a little bit older and I want to think about my life in terms of like there's not really a performance thing. It's more of like, I want to just be healthy and happy when I'm older. Um, And and so I need to figure out exactly, I think what that is personally for me. 
And that would be a process that I think would be the best way for each of us as individuals to do that. And because my goal might be di- my 10 year, my goal when I'm 50 years old might be different than your goal at 50 years. Um, so, so like that Ooh. would be something I, we need to think about. I do want to say, I don't think those standards are completely um, useful for a large swath of the, the population. I would say I agree. I would say I agree with that part. I think they're useful to have, but I don't think most of the people we're talking to would get much use from having barbell strength standards. Honestly, I like a lot more like movement strength standards, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Overall, give me an example. An example would be like a goblet squat with a kettlebell, for example, as a strength standard. We actually don't have strength standards as much. Honestly, strength standards let us know where people are in comparison to other people. But I don't think of that as much with our typical training. So, yeah, goblet squat would be one. Getting up off the ground would be another one, I would say. Because we think so individually that standards are not something that we really need to worry about as much because we want to look at somebody and, and really customize to you. I mean, it's to, to tell you what matters the most in your strength is is so wrong to me without like really going in depth to your yeah. goals and yeah. you like what you really want out of life and what and how you want to feel every day and when i was deadlifting 300 pounds every day I, you know i want to walk for a couple of days like right after that and there's just no way i want to feel that at 37 years old compared to maybe at 22 at 22 maybe it was like a trophy for me i think it's the gateway drug i think it's the gateway drug for young lifters honestly is that pure strength that's more pure strength type of work i would say and i think it looks really cool and you get the street cred and the culture supports it you know so it persists Sure. But I think, yeah, as time goes on, you got to think about what you want to do with your body outside of the barbell, basically. Now, now we're not saying it can't work, right? Obviously, obviously, right? Yeah. You can, and the barbell you can... can be really useful for a lot of people who are trying to, yeah, really useful, but. It's a thousand percent useful, but I think the problem is the risk assessment that is given, that is told to the majority of people is skewed because mm-hmm. I think under supervision of a coach, of a good coach, your risk does go down, but it doesn't go away. And then when when your risk, when you're assessing your risk by yourself, it's really, I think that the strength industry and the industry really focuses on not saying that because that's such a huge part of the job is making mm-hmm. people stronger. And and I do think- I think there's a lot of omission of communicating the risk, honestly. Yeah, right, they just right. don't, people just don't talk about it very much. Yeah, because you look at people like The Rock and you know, the, the, these celebrities who are awesome, they look great and, but man, how often are they injured? How, like how many severe injuries, but they have tons of money that they just put their knee back together and they're lifting heavy again in a year. But yeah, and uh, it's not that you should be afraid of the barbell either, though, I would say. Don't fear the barbell, but you should respect the barbell, I would say, if you're going to be if you're going to be doing something like that, because the the amount of load that you can put on your spine and your body and your joints with the barbell is dramatic, I would say, compared to other pieces of exercise equipment, even just dumbbells, for example. Yep. Yep. And, and this is just an experiment, right? So, well, am I saying I'll never use a barbell? No, I'm not selling my barbell. I'm not selling my hex bar or anything. If Josh still has a strong love, loving relationship with those things, (laughs) those things have memory. Exactly. You can't throw those things away, but yeah, but so we can hash that out. All right. We're still on the fit quest. Let me end my fit quest here and then I'll pass it over to you. The other part of this journey is going to be, we've talked about this over the past five or six episodes is instead of getting 10,000 steps, I want to focus on making sure I have two zone two. You're supposed to get 150 minutes of zone two training, but I'm trying to get two zone two 
training sessions and then one VO2 max training session in on top of teaching the, myself the skills of the club and the mace bell this year. Um, and so that's a huge focus of mine. Um, and so I'm experimenting with a, a, a vest trot, I call, which is it's not quite a jog, but it's not quite a walk. It's like a fast moving jog, like you're not going too fast, but it's just enough to get my heart rate up a little bit. Um, and with a 40 pound vest, though, it really helps. And so I've done two 30 minute sessions one on flat ground and one on hills and grass with un uneven surfaces. Mm -hmm. And in the grass, I had shoes on. And actually on the flat ground, I did it a barefoot with a 40 pound vest. And I'm going to try and do that for a while. And I feel great after those. And so that's my fit quest. And, and that's what has happened over these past three weeks. And so it's been a really fun three weeks. I'm excited about learning the skill of the clubs because they're a lot of fun and it's, it is a skill, man. It's like something you really need to learn. And I'm excited to learn that. I'm excited to send you a whole bunch of things and resources on that and hear your, hear your, I want to hear how you filter through that stuff or see how you filter through that stuff. It translates so well to golf, which is a part of one of my big, like my, one of my pillars of mm -hmm. what I do. And so that is what I'm really excited to see is how yeah. it affects my golf game. Yeah. yeah, you were even saying when we saw each other recently how you were thinking about how your hips move more, and it made me think about the clubs and the mace and those kind of things, that hip pivot type movement. Yeah, an instant thing that I've noticed from using these mace bells is how much my core engages through the motion. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, and that's only been a week of training with it, so I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah. Sweet, sweet. Okay, yeah. cool. My fit quest um, right now, I would say, what's the main things I'm doing right now? I'm still actually doing my outdoors, indoors program. Uh, more outdoors than indoors most of the time. I prefer to work out outdoors probably twice a week usually is when I do it. Um, still riding the mountain bike, trying to get on the trail a little bit more with the mountain bike. Um, still doing mason club work in the, on the random micro mini workouts, still doing hangs. I'm trying to do hangs a little bit more. Oh, I know what I've added to that. Recently, I've been having a little bit of wrist pain. And as weird as this sounds, I know it's related to like chest tightness and upper body tightness. And so I've been trying to make sure that I'm stretching out my chest more and I'm putting the lacrosse ball in there in the corners of the wall and doing that kind of work. And that's been making my wrist feel a lot better. So I've, I'm just trying to stay up on that a little bit do more. You wanna do you want to explain why the doing the chest affects yeah. your wrist? It, long story short, because the knee bone's connected to the thigh bone, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and the wrist is downstream from the chest tightness and that chest tightness uh, around where my shoulder meets my chest will get to the point where it'll twist the fibers in the muscle tissue and down to the, and then that'll have a ramification down at the wrist when I apply pressure in an, in a extended position. So that's like with my palm up facing the ceiling, for example, if I'm standing up. Not so much in other positions, but in that extended position. And that extended position pulls all the way through, up through the chest there. And that's now, what when That's super interesting. Now, when you get something like that happens in your fit quest, like you get like a little shoulder, like a little wrist pain like that, do you mm. do a quick, do you do a quick assessment of what you've been doing in the gym or well, you don't go to the gym, but what you've been doing as training and then maybe what you've been doing in non-training and then, and then think in your head, like what you can balance out. So that might not happen again. Yeah. And then I asked jazz as well. My wife, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's like way more versed in the little recovery things, I would say. Cause she, she almost went to PT school like twice, basically. <laughs> But oh, wow. Chose not to, but she worked as a 
physical therapy assistant for a while and she's really well versed with that kind of stuff. So I do that and then I ask Jazz and then I collaborate basically. Okay, that's awesome. Her recommendation from the backwards walking has been feeling really good. My ankle yeah. feels great, man. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I I definitely don't have feelings, so I think that there's something wrong with it, but I won't get into that too much, but it does feel stronger for sure. Yeah, cuz if you don't have feeling, I doubt you're using it like on the regular. Yeah. And if you are using it, it's just like getting bludgeoned <laughs> as you go through the movement. <laughs> but it could be worse. It could be worse. But yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just trying to maintain my current routine and trying to add a little extra and trying to build the volume up with it. Oh, all in the hopes that I can take advantage of peak hiking season this fall basically in the Blue Ridge Mountains. All right. Yeah. We live in a great area for that. And hiking is so fun. You can get into zone two from doing hiking. One thing that that's a huge part of my goal are are doing the hiking around here because that's such a cool, cool, fun thing to do. When I talked about a few episodes ago where I did the six miles and, and I was like dead afterward. So that's what I'm trying to think of. I'm trying, I want to do maybe in six weeks, a little bit longer hike. So maybe do a few shorter ones before that. Do you, about what mileage do you start at for your hike? And and do you, do you, can you talk on that at all? Yeah. So my starter is always Bear's Den. I love Bear's Den, which is about a little over one up and a little over one down, I think. Okay. I want to say it's 30 minutes and that's like a 30 minute hike up, 30 minute hike down. And and people like that might not sound like a lot, but if you don't hike a lot, I think one thing that people don't realize is your ankles, Mm -hmm. the the amount of just like stepping on odd, what what do you call it? Like just bumpy surfaces. Yeah. The terrain just changes in grade and angle and, and texture so much. But the whole reason I really caught the bug for hiking was because of my Achilles rehab, honestly. Cause I was at a bit of a standstill with trying to get like numb parts of my foot <laughs> to work. Yeah. And yeah. I knew that different terrains would help with that. And I'm like, why don't I just go on light hikes like regularly? Just go on some light hikes and different parts of my calf started feeling like I was actually using it again that I wasn't using. And I know it's so good for my lower leg health. And that is only a sliver of the other things about hiking that I like, but I, I enjoy the experience. I love the actual just going out into nature, being surrounded by trees. I like having yeah. a nice view. I like breathing the fresh air. I like seeing, I like having all these things. Like my ADD mind gets so happy out there because I can both focus and there's a lot going on, but it's all like natural stimulus. So it doesn't feel over stimulating. It's great. And there's all that awesome stuff. And then you're also helping out your ankle. And I love that you said that about your ankle, because I feel like most people would think the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get that Achilles, of course, like at the beginning, you need to recover it and all that. But once you're feeling good, I think a lot of people will be like, hey, I don't want to step on all those surfaces because my ankles are weak. But where you think the exact opposite, you see those unstable surfaces and you're like, hey, those are going to help. But you also need to be aware going into that, that they are unstable and you need to be very particular with how you're stepping through those rocks and everything. Yeah. And and I've even thought about doing guided hikes and stuff like that just to help people get past that that barrier i think it's easier for me because i i know about the body more so i have that it's easier to find that confidence and to know there's a it's a lot of as are most things in life when you're trying to challenge yourself and get better like it's a lot of knowing what the right amount is at the right time at the right place you know and trying to put all those together to make sure that you challenge yourself and you're on that edge of your ability, but you're not going too far over that edge of your ability and you're putting the proper safety mechanisms in place. When you're going on a hike, most of the time, I wouldn't suggest people go on a hike by themselves, for example, if they're not used to hiking. 
that would be a big one. Yeah, absolutely. For that exact reason. And then there's a lot of other little things that once will keep you, will help you feel more confident and then you can actually get better. Yeah. Yeah. And don't go out on a hike by yourself for the normal reason, like the body reasons, like you might hurt your ankle or something. No, there's also maybe bobcats or bears or things like that. Yeah, so. depending on where you're <laughs> hiking, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people do uh, go out by them. So, you know, it's crazy how often I go hiking with Amber or the kids and it's just, I pass people who are out there by themselves in the middle of the woods. And so that's a common thing, I think. More, and more it, experienced it, hikers, I yeah, I'm not saying don't ever do it. And more experienced hikers can do it and they know what to do and whatnot. But yeah, if you're one of those people who are afraid to do the hike because of your Achilles or something like that, or because of your ankle or your foot, I would say go with somebody. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. All right, cool, man. What are we doing today? So we wanted to talk about frequent, like, we are trainers or you're, you have a good training business. And so you get asked questions a lot about just like random questions, right? And you probably get some frequently asked questions. And so we wanted to go through a few uh, from each of us that we get fairly often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me to start, you want you to start? You can start. Go ahead. Okay. So one of the more recent ones I got was, what do you think about glo- going gluten-free? And do you think that's something that people should do to be more healthy that's that's it almost verbatim i would say and i thought it would be useful to talk about it because people ask me about it because i eat gluten-free often and whatever i do as josh talked about earlier in the podcast is more like what i do for myself as an individual i don't think that all my clients should do what i do by the way. And I think that comes across sometimes with like dietary options and choices and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so I get this question pretty often. So I thought it'd be good to answer. Long story short, gluten-free for a lot of people can be really useful if only for the reason that it gets them to have less processed food, I would say. And a lot of times when I see people go gluten-free, that tends to happen at first. But depending on where you live, there's a lot of really good quote unquote or tasty gluten-free processed food options that you can get nowadays as well. So that benefit is slowly going away. And as it does with a lot of different like diet fads, when low fat was a big thing, you had Mm -hmm. a lot of foods that tasted horrible (laughs) for a while that were low fat and maybe the ingredients were simpler in those foods so people didn't eat that much and they lost a lot of weight doing low fat and then companies started to figure out how to put more sugar in foods and make it taste better but be worse for your health basically absolutely (laughs) and and i try to remind people that a similar thing goes on with gluten-free as well but for some people even if you don't have an allergy to gluten you could have a sensitivity to gluten you could have just a sensitivity to the products that are made with gluten, for example, because of the way that they process those products. There's so many variables in right. a lot of these processes. So, Go ahead. I would say, so, okay, I, there's, I know there's so many variables and all these, there's processed food and processed food is horrible for you. But my right. question would be is when these people come to you, why are they coming to you? Mm-hmm. Are they coming to you? So that if they gr- if they go to the grocery store and they gla- grab that gluten free, are they going to feel healthier or better? Or did the doctor tell them that they have a sensitivity or an allergy? Or- yeah, most of the time, most of the time, it's because they're just trying to lose weight and they're thinking gluten free is going to be the way to do it. That is okay. That was, I was trying to think of that. And that's perfect. All right, <laughs> because that's why people come. Where in reality, how I see it is that it would be a test, right? If you feel bad after you eat something, then maybe you should think about going gluten-free. If, if your doctor, like if you have an upset stomach every time you eat something that has a ton of gluten in it, maybe start trying some type of a gluten elimination. Right. And, and then see how you feel after that. And you can document that and you can test yourself. Now, the person who comes to me and says, "Is like, should I eat gluten-free to lose weight? Everything you said is true, right? It's like a it's like a side 
it's the the side reason it's, mm -hmm, it's because mm -hmm. you're not eating probably it's probably because you're not eating processed food now some people i know they have a big gluten thing and that's an issue that can be an issue for some people mm -hmm. but a lot of times it's a habit thing yep exactly and it's good so that's why it's like a double-edged sword when people ask me this question because i think it's really good to experiment with something like this and it's not yeah. like it's it's not like they're taking out a required nutrient for their body but like they're not going like i'm going protein free and then, yeah. then then we'd have an issue then i'd be like i don't think that's healthy i don't think that's a good idea to just take out a whole macronutrient from your diet for example but gluten right. gluten's not a required nutrient and it tends to what's the word tends to hang out with bad company how about that it's like, like a it. friend who just hangs out with all the junk food most of the time and it's not really the best person to be around i would say right and some people they can hang out with that crazy friend and have a good time and still be healthy and have and do great in their life but a lot of other people you start hanging out with bad company and bad shit happens basically that's, that's a great analogy there you go that's my analogy for gluten that's so good and that may, that makes a lot of sense and i think that's a lot of things and that's why i love how you apply the science and i think because most people oh like listening to somebody like andrew huberman is amazing and he can give you so many details but like with that real life application and how to actually apply all these scientific principles is so hard. And just thinking like you can go look up the science for gluten and see all these things. Or you can just, you know, sometimes you know, gluten is with a ton of this bad substance. And, and so if I just stay away from that, then I'll be 4% healthier. And if you do that with a ton of different things and a ton of these like one percenters here and there, then you can really increase your health just by thinking like that and right. not being so granular, like all the science and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, I think so the gluten one is a popular question. What's next? Okay. So you want my, you want me to do both of mine right now? No. All right. I'll go. Okay. I'll okay. Go. All right. Like um, all the beginning here. Okay. So I was, uh, this is, I used to get this question more when I was working, but uh, about a month ago, I went to pick up the kids from uh, a play date. Mm -hmm. And I come to the door and the guy comes to the door and he says, oh man, dude, I, my, my back, I just got off of work. I just came, I just drove, he actually had the same commute that I had. So he just worked for 10 hours and just drove an hour and a half home. And, uh, he, and he's young, like 24 years old. And he was like, dude, my back, it hurts so bad. I think like when I got out of the car, he's like, something happened mm. and I don't know what's going on. And man, I've gotten this just a ton of times because I always talk about like working the nine to five and, being, yeah. you know, because that was my thing forever. And probably I'm not saying it's not going to be my thing anyway. So I feel like we can speculate on this. I, and uh, so I just gave him a couple exercises. I, I went home and I sent him over a an article that I found that I thought was pretty useful. For and back just, pain relief? Uh, yes, and some piriformis release was what I, preventative movements, preventative movements for, for future. Um, because for me, like I didn't want to. Okay, we are not supposed to fix pain, right? As a personal trainer, in a sense, mm -hmm. when right when it happens, it's not our job to fix pain, right? We're mm -hmm. not doctors, but and I think that's what he wanted. And I was like, hey man, just, just take it easy tonight. Like I, I did give them a stretch or two. I know that's not like what I'm supposed to do or whatever, but I think it can help. Like if you're not going to go to the doctor that night, why not do a couple stretches? Um, but anyway, I sent them that article for the next day and just gave them recommendations to do how I used to do where before and after you get in the car, you just got to do a little movement for your hips and back. I gave them some specific exercises, but like for me, the exercise that I like, you know that thoracic movement, that that we do a lot like where you're laying on the side and you, like you open yep. the book like that open the book yep i like to do this movement where i i'm in that same position but i grab i just grab my leg and kind of 90 in a 90 degree angle mm -hmm. and i pull it and it pulls my hip a ton mm -hmm. and and then, oh, and then i extend my arm and then it's just this really nice big long stretch a crucifix position but pulling the knee across the body 
Yep. Yeah, exactly like that. And so that was like a little recommendation that I had uh, at that time. But yeah, so what do you think? Well, you have any, I, I get that a lot. And that's usually my answer is to make sure going forward, you're doing a little bit of movement, a little bit of stretching before and after uh, your car ride. Yeah. So if people have back issues, I'd like to know their medical history as much as possible. Like have they had back issues, issues before? How long have they had the back issues? Like if it's been persisting for a couple weeks recently, for example, then I'll usually send them to a physical therapist or a doctor. Um, but if it's like random all of a sudden, yeah, a couple of movements to see if we can get some relief, something that's not going to bother things too much. Remind them not to push into pain a lot. Yeah. Um, this was somebody that I trained too. So just to be, just to let you know, yeah, I did so you have had a little bit of background about them before. Backgrounds and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So you knew where their tight spots were more. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, and then the things that you didn't mention that I would mention, I would say there's probably, and I'm trying to actually do this a lot more with all of my clients, honestly, there's probably something he's molehill to turn into a mountain does that make sense so what so we can give them corrective things and pain relief things the more information we know and the less serious it is but there's death there's a very high likelihood that he is in positions often that are aggravating and causing him to get into that pain point, right? Yes, 100%. I would want to talk to him more about what his resting positions look like and what positions we could figure out are adding to the scenario. So I can give you an example. I can tell you what he's doing and yeah. give some examples, okay? So an hour and a half drive each way. Yep. Okay. Young, young guy, in good shape, healthy, low BMI, low body fat, no issues. Is he tall? So what he does, is he, tall? he is nah, six foot, six foot. Six but foot this is sedan what, though is scrunched up. It's six foot. No, uh, it's just a regular car. Like it's a good size. Probably not, probably shouldn't be scrunched up, okay. but we can talk about sitting in a second. And then, but his main thing is he works for 10, for so shifts that are, so four days, four days, 10 hours, mm -hmm. sitting in a chair, mm -hmm. um, dealing with very small technical, like building with his fingers. Oh, shnikes. Hunched um, over. So, hunched over. Just think you have to be hunched over. Your arms are like in a little. So yeah. it's almost, it's very hard to keep your shoulders from rolling forward. You can do it, right? But we can, I'm just saying, we're going to give recommendations right now, but yeah. I've been there in that, in that car and I can't mm -hmm. sit perfect in that car for an hour and a half and I can't sit perfect in that chair. So we can't make this a perfect recommendation, but how can we make that situation a 10 hour day mm -hmm. of sitting hunched over, dealing with your fingers um, with, a, with very strict uh, when it comes to breaks Mm -hmm. and things like that you can't it's not like prison or anything like that is he on uh, a but, factory line but it's for like stuff that I, like you're you know, like we live in an area where there's a lot of defense and military mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff so it's for that kind of stuff and, and so yes but anyway yes. okay yes. um yeah, and there's only so much you can do. You're not going to be able to like what there is no perfect for that because that's not like a natural pattern to be in, I would say. There's but no do, So how do you so how do we fight that we have to fight it, right? Because yeah. how many young people uh have to do you know if you're young if you're already experiencing that when you're young, you've only been doing it for three doing it for 3 years. So what happens in 20 years? Like, so how can we prevent that from happening in 20 years? Right. right. To, like you're almost crippled by the time you're 50. So the best thing you can do in the car is just try and set up a, as, as I don't want to say comfortable environment, but as functional environment as you can in the car. So a lot of times cars have like a bucket seat where you end up like 
getting sunk back into the back of it, like putting a rolled up towel in the back of the car in that area where your butt usually sinks in yep. can help a lot. Some people will talk about the benefits of like just taking a sock and putting two tennis balls in the sock, rolling that up and putting it in the middle of your back on both sides of the spine. Okay. When you're driving, oh, that's interesting. When you're driving in a car for a long time. And it, that's only going to do so much, but you do like little things that you can like that as much as you can in the car. And then also pay attention to like how hard you're gripping the wheel. For example, if you're tensing up your leg muscles a lot when you're sitting, because a lot of people will just right. sit there with their leg muscles tense the whole time they're driving. Yeah. For example, so like a little bit of like car, a yoga-esque mindfulness about the muscles and the tensing and whatnot can be useful. But these are all things that like, I would not recommend starting with all these things all at once. And you're going to get, you're going to continue to get beat up while you learn these things too. At the desk at work, I would say, I wonder if he already, he probably already has a couple of little like movement twitches he does to reset his body where he probably like turns his head, looks up, looks down, like cracks his wrists or puts his arms out or, or does, he probably already does things like that if he's doing something in a job like that already. So tell yeah. him to do more things like that. I don't know if that would be useful or not, but how often does he do that? Does he only do it when he feels pain? Could he do it a little bit more often? Could he set like a 10 minute timer and just do a, like a 10 second move around or spine move or neck nod or wrist stretch, you know? Yeah, hands up. Hands, hands up, up overhead, <laughs> just reach yeah. overhead, stretch every 10 minutes or something like that before lunch. Can he do some calf raises? Can he do a... Can you do some calf raises and stand up? Real simple things that just get him out of the position a little bit and go in an opposite direction. But right. th those in concert with the things you mentioned earlier would be where I would go with it. Yeah. All right. All right. I like that. I like that. I think that's uh, some good advice. Yeah. So you want to try and reduce... Basically, you want to try and in any scenario... For the most part, we want to try and reduce the the movement training that is putting you in a bad position, and we want to increase the movement training that's putting you in a good position. So, you, so he's getting eight hours of movement, eight to twelve hours of movement training in a bad position, right? And we're gonna yeah. and we're gonna twice a week for forty five minutes fix that. It's something you need to think about every day. It's not gonna happen unless, yeah, exactly. And there's only so much you can do. Luckily, he is young, for example, so he can do a lot. The brain capacity might not be there to do all the things all at once. But there are things you can do, and it does help if you're younger because you can do more, I would say. Right. But he's cool. going to need some strong motivation <laughs> to do all those things, I would say. Right, because when you are younger, you don't feel the – like you might feel the acute effects – Mm -hmm. But you don't feel those long-term effects, which are like your shoulders just slowly going forward, like a tiny little bit every year and, and like things like that. And so you just don't realize those things. And I do think you need to start younger and younger as we become more of a sitting society. And maybe that'll change in generations, but it's not right now. No, no. So stretch it out when you can. Okay. So that's your, that's your question, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. How are we doing on time? You good on time? I'm good. I can do another question or two. Okay. All right. So the other, the, one of the questions that I had was I've been eating very little and I'm still not losing weight. What do I do? I'm afraid to eat more. Have you heard this before? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay. I'd love to hear your opinion. Uh, I'll, t I'll tell you basically what I said. I know this person, I'm, and I'll give you a little background. I know this person used to work out a lot and eat more, but then they stopped working out and they gained weight and they kept eating the same amount. And so that kind of compiled basically. And now this person is thinking, okay, I have to eat less and work out more again to get back to where I'm going. 
but the eat less is way too little and she just started working out okay i like it okay you got me okay so all right i got you a thousand calories right you said like i would say like 1200 calories for someone who weighs like 200 or more pounds oh dang okay 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 got me you want me to postulate you want me to think about it okay all right so that is, in my opinion, that's something that's fairly common, I think. And so I will tackle this how I, all right, first of all, 2000 calories. All right. <laughs> you hear that all the time. Okay. Why, why do you hear that 2000 calories? Because 2000 calories is the minimum amount for an average human, which I think is like five, seven or something like that, that, that your body needs to get the minimum like values of nutrition like the nutrition you actually need not the minimum to stay alive but the minimum to be healthy mm-hmm. okay all right on average like there's lots of averages yeah okay so and that could swing 500 calories either way uh depending on who you are right yeah and that's for the five seven i think like 170 pound male yeah, it's like it's not like I'm 5'11, 195 pounds. Do you think right. I should be eating 2,000 calories? I mean, maybe at certain times. And that's what I'm going to talk about right now. So, so she's been eating 1,200 calories for a while and she wants to lose weight. All right. And she weighs 200 pounds. And so her body is saying, like, so now she goes from 1,200 calories to say 900 calories. And now her body is saying, I was barely served. I can get by with 1200 calories. And now you want me to adapt to 900 calories. Mm -hmm. And so what the body is going to do, it's going to start depleting even more like the nutrition that it's, it's sending out to your body. And so your body will adapt and your body will survive at 900, 100 calories. But the chances of it losing weight and when you are running and doing resistance training and things like that are so low because your body needs all of the, that nutrition, all those vitamins and everything to be able to function properly, to be able to lose that weight. So what I would recommend, and it would probably take a while, and she already said she's afraid, right, to mm-hmm. eat more. And, and that's super common. But this is why you need to be a good coach. Because this is where you need to convince people that they need to add more calories because they need to, and that's slowly, like this is a process and you might gain a couple pounds, but when you are at such a low calorie diet for so long, your body adapts to that state and it's just hard to go down. Like, where are you going to go? If you're only eating one meal a day or maybe two, two meals a day. And you take out some of those, like, how are you going to lose weight? Your body's barely staying where it is as it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that, I just ranted. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And I think the big point I want to drive home is that you, you weight is not the best indicator of your overall health, I would say. It's, and if you can wrap your mind around the fact that weight is really just how gravity is holding you on the earth right now versus if I took your weight on earth and then I put you on a scale on the moon, you would weigh different, basically. And, right. and that might require like a physics lesson. But <laughs> the point is that I would try to focus on other indicators of health other than weight because it's obvious that the weight has become too much of a anxiety basically at that point and then yes try to get the food up actually to a caloric rate where you can actually burn more than you take in because what happens is you stop burning as much when you stop taking in enough and part a lot of that is like water that your body holds on to which doesn't isn't full of calories at all it's actually 
very low in calories, but your body's going to hold on to that water because it thinks you're dying in a lot of ways when you're not getting enough calories. And that's one of the reasons why you won't see your weight go down. But you know what you will see go down if you watch somebody over time? We put them through like a DEXA scan where you can see like their bone and their muscle and all that tissue. Um, so think of a, a big body scan where you can look at not just the bones, but the muscle and the fat tissue. This is used for a lot of different medical reasons. But if you put somebody through that scan while they were on a very low calorie diet, they may not lose weight past a certain point, but you, they'll continue to lose like muscle and they'll lose bone density and they'll lose from areas that you don't want to lose from. So you are losing weight, okay? But the, a lot of that weight is getting replaced with water. And a lot of that muscle tissue is getting eaten up and a lot of the bone tissue is getting eaten up and a lot of the organ tissue that is getting eaten up and the lining of your organs and the things. Like all the maintenance workers are getting eaten up, basically. But it, it, that's true. And what happens though, how often do you see someone who is a little bit older and say, oh, that's a bad term. Let's just say they're 60 years old Mm -hmm. and they've been eating 800 calories for 20 years. 800 800, calories a day. First of all, I wouldn't believe it was 800 calories because I don't think anybody can eat that low of calories for so long and actually be, but I would bet like a thousand calories or 1200 maybe. Yeah. I think once they get below a thousand, they end up binging or doing other crazy behaviors that bring the weight back up, the calories back up, unless they're in a science experiment that keeps them on Soylent or something. Right. So averaging, averaging maybe 800 calories a day, but (laughs) maybe sometimes you'll hack an ice cream on the weekend where it'll go up to 20 for... I bet you they're binging on something if they tell me 800 calories a day or they're not tracking their calories, basically. Yeah, well, your body, adapt, your body adapts, though. So, it would it, like, I do believe that, but I know people for that I've known for 30 years who have only eaten one meal a day, mm-hmm. so probably under 800 calories. Mm-hmm. For and they don't year. snack on anything? One meal a day is like 400, a salad with chicken is like 300 calories. Right. 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 So yes, there are some snacks, but like, yeah, not a thousand calories. I'm saying 800 calories is with using the weekend excursion and and things like that. Um, And so your body adapts. And so you stop losing. But I'm saying this, all these people, I know multiply with 10 people like this who are overweight though. Yeah who are 60 years old and have only been having one meal a day who are overweight. Right. Right. Yeah. So your body adapts right. to to low calories and it is super. I mean, if you or I switch to that, we would probably be super unhealthy for a year or two years, mm-hmm. like very unhealthy, like where we could probably die. And are but they I, active? Are they very active? Those people? No, fairly said sed- fairly sedentary. Yeah. It's almost like they can't, be active with that lower calories, right? Still going on one or two mile walks every day, uh, yeah. things like that. But no, if they try and do something he- like hard, say walking up, carrying in groceries, like a huge grocery thing, that'll take them out for five or 10 minutes. And they get injured like, easily. Probably is worse. I would say like injury is some of them. Some of them have gotten injured, but not less. But overall, but that is a point I would like to make is that I overall function, uh, I think is worse and performance and things like that is Mm. worse. I'm not saying like this is good or anything like that. I just wanted to say that these are people who I see all the time. Right. And how would that person who has been eating 500 to 800 calories or let's say a thousand calories for 20 years what would you do for them? And I think it's like what we already said, try and get them to eat more, but almost none of them will eat more because they've been doing it for so long. Right. But they also need a good reason to eat more too. I would say if they're coming to me, I'm hoping that they're coming to me because they're trying to get into an act like a movement program or they're trying to figure out how to move better because something has come up that has made them realize I want to move better. 
Yeah. So I would keep tying that body fat goal, less weight loss goal. I would keep tying a body fat goal to the fact that they need to be able to move better to get that body fat goal. Right. That as much as I could, but they need, they need an external reason, I would say, to actually want to eat more versus just it's good for you to eat more. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. eating more needs to mean I get this and they need to see that as soon as possible. And I like movement goals for that reason, because a lot of times people will move a lot better just because of those newbie gains you get a lot of times at the beginning. And, and this kind of rolls into my last question. If we do have, if you have two or three minutes to go with it. Yep. Yep. Um, so like this, the exact same demographic and the exact same thing you were talking about get a goal. And, and this is something that I was asked, not frequently, but I was asked this is I just started working out a couple of years ago, like 60 years, 60 ish years old. And, but I don't feel like I, I feel a little bit stronger, but I don't feel stronger in real life. I can't even get up off the floor. Mm -hmm. What should I do? I've been working out for two years. I can't get up off the floor. Right. What should I do? And, and so I was like, yeah, that is an interesting question. Um, so, so boom, what would you say to that? Or do you want me to go into it for a second so you can think about it? Uh, I have an idea, but go into it. All right. Cause, okay. I'll just do a quick, I'll just do a quick overview of what I sent her and I talked to her about. And I basically just did a quick thing. Uh, I said, everything that you're doing at the gym is awesome. Um, but I just want to want you to add in a couple of little movements. And I gave her five movements uh, that I wanted her to do. And those are movements that don't involve any machines. She's only been using machines and stuff like that. Like she doesn't do any other exercises. Yeah, free weights. Um, free weights or bo even body, like a bird dog, you know, something like that. And, uh, and so I gave her five little exercises uh, and I told her to do those on opposite days of whatever she's doing at the gym, whatever gets her into the gym. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's it. And I said, do that for six minutes and we'll talk again. Okay. Okay. So yeah. basically getting her to do more free weights, getting her to do more ground, seeing if she can do some work on the ground, for example. Yep. Yeah. Some, some groundwork. Yeah. And just some specific exercises to literally for that main goal of just standing up. Can she get off the ground? Like if she has a chair or something like that? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to push. So agree with the in gym recommendation and I'm going to push into the out of gym recommendation basically. Oh, okay. Okay. To take what she's doing in the gym and to translate that, I would want her to focus on getting up and down from the ground using a chair or something like that at home a couple times a day. Okay. A day. And whether that's sitting on the floor and doing something, ideally it would be to do something on the floor. So whatever thing she has to do, just do it on the floor. I want to read this thing. Can I do that on the floor? Ask yourself, can I do that on the floor? For example, right. and then do that and set up like a chair or something like that. That's actually going to help you get up, make it easy to get up off the ground. Don't make it hard. Give yourself the supports, find a spot in your house where it's easy to get up from the ground. Cause you got like a sofa there or something like that, that you can use. Yeah, but yeah. as, and then just after talking to her, I would want to know, okay, what do you think is a realistic amount to do this and when's the next time you can do it you know right how many times can you get it in the week and then let's check back and see if right. we can get that in during the week cool yeah dude I, yeah that's perfect i like that i wanted to roll in the food thing kind of theorized that uh, the amount of food she was eating too was just significantly way too low and yeah her body just wasn't functioning like prop, like with the correct new amount of nutrients and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. to even though she's going to the gym five times a week or whatever, uh, there it's literally doing barely anything. Mm -hmm. It's doing a little right, but not that much because the nutrient, like really there's only 500 to a thousand calories every day uh, that's going into the body and there's just not enough to fuel it. And that's something that I was theorizing about it too.
Yeah, so is there anything in the gym, for example, going back to that previous goal, is there anything in the gym? Like sometimes people really like a certain machine, for example, and they want to get stronger in that machine too. Or any of those new movements or any of those new get up movements or floor movements or anything like that. She's, oh, I do want to get better with this. I can see the use in this. So it helps to see if you can find something like that. Yeah. And then focus on that. And then right. be like, okay, let's just focus on getting, maybe you don't focus on total calories. Maybe you just focus on getting more protein or getting right. more quality fat or getting, just break it down into even smaller bites, pun, pun intended, basically. <laughs> but just see if we can get the macronutrients up a little bit higher. And if yep. we get those, and let's just run an experiment. Let's do two weeks and see if we can get those macronutrients up for two weeks, how you feel with your exercises. I like it. Very simple, like just one or two things they can change and just that's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then test it and see if it's working. And that's what's going to convince them. Like you have to convince them to test it, mm-hmm. but like for them to actually fulfill it and really feel it and know that and hit that switch, they need to know that it's working. And, this is why I, I do a two-week free trial with all my new <laughs> programs, just so you guys know, a little behind the scenes. <laughs> Basically, at Vivo Training Systems. VivoTrainingSystems.com. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is one of the big reasons because I think you need like, a, you need a little bit of, of proof, you know, that you can do the thing. Everybody needs to know that they can do the thing that they hope they can do just a little bit or else there's the hope is gone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. I think we crushed it. Is there anything else you want to go over today? No, I'm excited to see how this turns out. I'm excited. I like. Yep. Ho- hopefully, this recording worked, mm-hmm. and hopefully, we will be sending this out to everybody. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening, everybody. All right. See you, Mike. Do say.